You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Hello, Salem Tabernacle. Pastor Bill here. Um, you're going to see me drinking a little bit of water today. I have a little bit of a cough because why not? Why not add to everything going on? Um, thank you all for praying so much for us. Uh, this should be our last Sunday, uh, not in the building. This should be the last time you see me on the screen. Um, healing well, everything's going well. And so I just wanted to give it one more week just to decrease the swelling, but I'll, I'll be back. Uh, my foot's doing very well. The bronchitis uh, is just about gone. Man, oh man. Uh, you know, I don't know what Job felt like, but every once in a while you get a little taste. And so uh, I appreciate any of you who have things just going on, like one thing after another. It's amazing that you keep getting up, you keep coming out, you keep doing what you have to do. It's amazing that God gives us what we need when we need it. If anything, just motivation in crisis. And so I feel your prayers. I appreciate you. I love you. I'm going to read uh, our final text. I think you just heard two Bible readings. You're going to hear one more. I'm not going to ask you to stand. We won't have that awkward moment anymore where we forget to tell you to sit down. But here's an interesting text from Corinthians. It's part of the lectionary from today. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, praise the Lord. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Everybody say never. Good. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within whom, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And just in case anyone feels a little judged, the Bible talks about Esau in Hebrews. Uh, sinning in sexual immorality, but there's no story of Esau sinning in sexual immorality. He sinned with food. And so there seems to be a kind of combination of our sexual sins and our gluttonous sins, kind of all are sort of the same thing. And so, you know, let's not judge each other because if you got a food issue, you might also have a sexual immorality issue because the two aren't so far apart. Anyway, we will get there in a moment. We have an interesting sermon, and I know that that text makes you wonder what the heck we're going to talk about today, but we're actually going to talk lightly about what it means to honor each other. Our sermon series for the opening of the year is called Proactivity, and as Ian will put up on the screen here, our vision for the year is simplicity, and our mission for the year is proactivity. Simplicity means... An inner life that doesn't feel like it's competing against itself. Externally, like the Dandriano family is dealing with right now. 
it feels like my desire to want to be in the room with you and preach on Sunday and the injury that I have and the cold that I have, they're in competition with each other. It's not simple. It's fighting against itself. And so we're having to find creative ways to do this. But internally, the Lord can give us a rest where even if outside of us, it feels like life is just shattering us in various directions. Internally, we can know that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And that the peace of God, even though, as he said, in the world we'll have tribulation, but he will give us peace. Not the kind of peace the world gives. The world's peace is your circumstances can finally be calm and then you'll be calm. That's the world's peace. Jesus's peace is you might never have calm circumstances, but I can give you an inner calm that has that, that the peace passes all of your understanding. So that's what we're hoping for. That's what we mean by simplicity. How are we going to get there? Proactivity. Our mission. Proactivity. We need to be people who stand up in the situation and move in the way of the Lord, even if it's difficult to do it, and trust that God is going to give us what we need. As we, as we are talking about with our first fruit offering this year, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully worked within us. And so... What are we going to be proactive in? Our verse for the year is found in Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 13. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. And what we're going to be talking about today is we're going to be talking about letting our love be genuine and outdoing one another and showing honor. Everybody in the room, take a deep breath. I don't want this sermon to be fiery. I want the sermon to be calm. I want to tell you what God is always doing in your life. Last week, we discussed giving and we discussed hospitality. We talked about the tithe as not a way to get God to do something, but as our thankful expression over what God has already done for us. And like I said, if you struggle to say, hey, I can't afford 10%, all I'm asking you to do is look at your spending and see if you can find 10% of your income that is being given to something that's not delivering you over to death. It might even be something that's delivering you to a slow death. Look for it. I believe that the Lord will help you find it, get into healthy rhythms of giving. And with that, as Jesus said, we're going to give, but we're also not going to neglect mercy, grace, and justice, which is our hospitality. So in the same way that you're going to look through your finances and see what you can clean up so that you can give, you're also going to look through your opinions to see where you might have opinions about certain kinds of people that are not healthy. And you're also going to clean that up so that we can give hospitality. That's being proactive. Today, we will discuss letting love be genuine and showing honor to each other. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This verse is saying that God made Jesus perfect through suffering. Let me explain what that means. 
that doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't perfect and then he became perfect after he suffered. It means that his work was perfectly completed through his suffering. His suffering was the perfect completion of his work. Now, when we hear verses like that, we say things like, Jesus had to suffer in order to save us for our sins. We say things like, he had to become man. Because if he didn't become man, then he could be God, but he couldn't save me. Nonsense. He could have saved us any way he wanted to. He could snap his fingers, and he could have saved us. So the question is, why did he save us the way that he saved us? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is this. He saved us the way he saved us, not just out of necessity, but out of a revelation for the way that he wants us to live our lives. The way that Jesus saved us also shows us who he wants us to be for each other. He saved us by coming to serve. He wants us to serve. He saved us by not seeking vengeance on his enemies. He doesn't want us living vengeful lives. He saved us by offering his own life unto death for the mere possibility that his enemies might be saved. And he wants us doing the same thing. He wants us living a selfless life where we give ourselves over to the benefit of other people. So the way he saved us doesn't just show us what he saved us from. It shows us what he saved us for. He saved us to become people who join him in that saving work, taking up our cross daily and following him. So what does it mean to let love be genuine? Uh, Ian's going to put this on the screen. Genuine love is simply love rooted in the revelation of Jesus. As you can see, the cross is green because we're still in the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany is celebrating the revelation of Jesus Christ in his birth, in his baptism, and at the wedding at Cana when he turned water into wine. And people saw his glory. Genuine love is love not rooted in what the world says. Not rooted in what Hollywood says. Not rooted in the relationships between celebrities that we see. Not rooted in how good our politicians are at keeping their marriages together. Love is rooted in the revelation that God gave us in the scriptures of Jesus Christ. So that's what love is. And let me tell you something. That revelation draws itself out of you. So when you're reading your Bible daily and you're reading about Jesus daily, you're not just receiving information about Jesus as you read about him and see him in your mind while you're reading, he's drawing his life up out of you. It's like when, when Jesus said to Zacchaeus, you come down for today I'm coming to your house. Zacchaeus' response was, come over. Why? Because the announcement that Jesus was coming drew hospitality out of Zacchaeus. When we see Jesus in the scriptures... His life is being drawn out of us. We're actually learning to live his life by reading about his life. And what does honor mean? You ready? Genuine love means love rooted in the revelation of Jesus. And honor means seeing a fixed value in the other person. Everybody say fixed. Everybody say value. A fixed value. Now that could be dangerous. Because there's people in our life who we have a fixed value of them. A value that they will never get out of because they wronged us or hurt us or they don't look like us or they don't act like us or they have different morals than we do. But when, our, when the value we see in another person 
is rooted in the love that is revealed in Jesus, that value should be fixed. His value over your life is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His value that he sees in your life is worth the cross to him. You are worth Jesus' entire life to God. That is the value that you have and it is fixed. It doesn't change. You might not see it, but thank God our perception of ourselves doesn't equate to our value. His cross is your value. That's how valuable you are. And so honoring each other is knowing that every person we meet is cross valuable to God. Every person we meet has the dollar sign of the cross on them to God. And that is the fixed value that can never change. And honoring each other is making sure that we all remember and are reminding each other and showing each other that your value is Jesus's life to God. So everything that you can do in a day for your children, for your friends, family, co-workers, whoever it is, is to remind them that their value is cross value and it is fixed and it doesn't change. So we've heard these three texts, Samuel, the text about Jesus and Nathaniel, and then this weird text about Paul fleeing sexual immorality. And we'll get to that in a second. <coughs> Dramatic pause for a sip of water here. And a note from our sponsors. We have no sponsors. So that was that. Samuel. Samuel is a young kid. He's sleeping in the temple. His priest, his pastor, is Eli, and Samuel hears God and thinks it's Eli once. Hears God and thinks it's Eli twice. Hears God and thinks it's Eli, and finally Eli's like, dude, you're waking me up, stop. <clears throat> what do we have in this text? This story has been used manipulatively over the years in many, many places where a pastor or a leader will say, the voice of God should sound like the voice of your authority. That's why Samuel thought that the voice of God was really Eli. But that's not how the story goes. When Eli realizes that Samuel thinks that God is him, Eli says to Samuel, don't come back in here. But next time you hear that voice, know that it's not mine and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And whatever God tells you, I will obey. So look at this. Samuel hears God and thinks it's Eli. Eli says, it's not me, it's God. Don't come back in here. I want you to learn to hear God for yourself. And when God speaks to you, I will obey. Even though I'm your priest, I will obey what God is telling you. What God is doing for Samuel there is God, through the humility of Eli, is teaching Samuel that Samuel is valuable enough to hear from him, to have a word given to him, and to have that word honored and respected. Many of you in this room, you're not even sure you could hear from God, let alone feel like you're, you, you're worthy to hear from him or get a word from him, let alone have anybody listen to it. Maybe people have told you that, you're, that you don't know how to hear from God or that you're not valuable or parents have done that or whatever the case may be. But I'm here to tell you, or I'm almost here to tell you today, that I'm on the screen to tell you today, that God is always honoring you in the way of reminding you that you can hear from him 
and that the word he tells you and the word you have is worthy to speak and it's good for people to listen to it. And so you have Eli is honoring Samuel here. He's showing Samuel honor by saying, I don't want you to have a codependent relationship on me. Samuel, I don't want you to think that God sounds like me. I want you to hear God for yourself. Salem, listen, there's a difference between having a codependent relationship and an interdependent relationship. We are called to be interdependent on each other, but not codependent on each other. No one should ever lord themselves over your life and say that without me, you can't hear from God. I wouldn't want you, I wouldn't want to be that for you. I don't want to be the only way that you can hear from God. I'm one of the ways that you can hear from God, but you're also one of the ways that I hear from God regularly. Regularly. Your voice matters to me and Jacqueline. We hear from Jesus by hearing from you regularly. So this is one of the ways that God is honoring you. He's teaching you to hear his voice and to walk in it. And that's one of the ways that we can honor each other is to remind each other that we're valuable enough to hear God's voice and to test it out, to walk in it and see and learn. We're going to talk about this in a second. Next, Jesus <clears throat> Jesus and Nathaniel. Nathaniel's grumpy. Maybe hangry, maybe he just had low blood sugar or something, but his brother comes to him and says, "I found the Messiah. He came from Nazareth." And Nathaniel's like, "Can anything good come out of Nazareth?" And his brother says, "Come and see." So Nathaniel's being nasty about Jesus right away. When Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. An Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, do you know me? Like, there's deceit in me, buddy. I just already criticized you from coming out of Nazareth. And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree today. And Nathaniel's like, you are the son of God. And what happened there? You've heard me say this before. When Jesus said to Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree, he wasn't talking about seeing him earlier that day under a fig tree. He was saying, I remember when you were in the Garden of Eden with Adam trying to cover yourself with fig leaves. Nathaniel, you don't need to cover yourself anymore. I already said there's no deceit in you. Nathaniel says, I don't want to go see somebody who came from Nazareth. Nothing good can come out of Nazareth. He's racist. The minute Jesus sees him, he says, Nathaniel, you don't have to hide. There's no deceit in you. And Nathaniel's like, but don't you know me? Don't you know what I just said? And Jesus says to Nathaniel what he said to Adam and Eve. I'm going to cover you. You don't have to cover yourself with fig leaves anymore. And Nathaniel immediately says, you are the son of God. And Jesus says, greater things are you going to see than just the small little prophecy that I just gave you. What's happening here? Jesus is honoring Nathaniel. You might think that you have done wrong in your life and it's disqualifying you from the best that God has from you. And Jesus is saying, I see you, Bill Bernasconi. I see you, Ian. I see you, Jacqueline. I see you, Marissa. I see you, Lori. And there's no deceit in you. And you're saying, how could you say that you don't know me? He's like, I've known you since the garden and I'm still telling you, you don't have to hide. I'm going to cover you. I am the reason why there's no deceit in you. He's honoring your fixed value. He's honoring Nathaniel's fixed value by saying, I know what you just said about me coming out of Nazareth. You dissed my whole family, 
But that's not how I define you. I love you. There's no deceit in you. Now come follow me. And not only are you going to be amazed today, but there's more possibility in you than you could possibly ever imagine. That's how he's honoring you today. And that's how we're called to honor each other. We're called to honor each other by reminding each other that we have a fixed value before God. That even though we've made mistakes, there's still no guile in us. That even though we've made mistakes, his covering is stronger than my sin. That even though we've made mistakes and even though there's sin, not only is he going to forgive me. Some of us feel like the best thing God will ever do for us is just forgive us. Man, he's got plans for you. He's got greater things, like he said to Nathaniel, I have greater things than me just merely forgiving you today. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of God. So many of you have such a small view of yourself because you feel like your fixed value is negative. And Jesus is saying, I saw you coming from a mile away. I've seen you coming since Genesis. I know what you're struggling with, but I'm covering you. You have value to me. There is no deceit in you. Now follow me. I'm going to show you some of the greatest things that you've ever seen in your entire life. That's how we honor each other. We take that honor that Christ is giving us and we remind each other, you can still stand up even though you've made these mistakes. You can still face the day even if you've made some mistakes. You can still face the day even if you don't feel worthy. And not only is he going to forgive you, but that's the baseline of what he's going to do for you. He's got so much more for you. Walk in it. Test him out. He won't fail you. Okay. Another dramatic pause. Word from our sponsors. Just so everybody knows, Ian just tried to sneeze as quietly as he possibly could, and it was amazing. But he did a really good job because I don't think any of you heard him. But I'm breaking all of the rules of public speaking on camera and telling you about it right now. We've really gotten a good rapport here over the COVID years working with each other, me and Ian. So, once again, I brought up me and Ian being in a room. Now we got to talk about what Paul said in the uh, 1 Corinthians text here. So why, why is Paul talking about fleeing sexual immorality and what does this have to do with anything we're talking about today? Well, I'll tell you this. Let's just be honest. Everybody take a deep breath. We have gotten completely out of hand in the world of over-sexualizing our society and failing to see the honor of the image of God in each other. And so, Paul is saying something explosive here. He's saying that what we do toward each other matters. And it matters because we were made to matter. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about this in a second. But on a actual like literal level just because something feels good to do just because something is good to do doesn't mean that we can do it however we want and expect God to be glorified in Jesus and the Holy Spirit and so there are some things that you know that God has given us as a gift like sex that when we when we have it in any form outside of the structure he set up for that activity, which is marriage, what we're doing is we're no longer giving to each other. We're taking from each other. When you're not married, you cannot make love. You are taking from each other. And you are ruining the creatureliness in each other by 
offering an intimacy that your relationship is not living up to. Jesus will never ask you for an intimacy that he's not willing to be fully committed to all the way himself. Right? The reason why Jesus never had these relations with anybody is because Jesus wasn't married. And he wouldn't do that to somebody. Right? And so, just because there's something good in somebody, and just because that good can feel good, doesn't mean that it's time for it. The Bible says, you know, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Just because the word is apples of gold doesn't mean it's settings of silver. So just because you have something good to say doesn't mean it's time to say it. Just because two people have something fun to do, like messing around, doesn't mean the relationship is a setting of silver yet. And so it's not just apples of gold. It's apples of gold in settings of silver. And the the sex, which is apples of gold, needs marriage, which is setting of silver, for it to be something fitly done. And so that that's just like Pastor Bill's hot take on the fact that we need to we really need to rein this back in and respect and honor the precious gift of intimacy that God has given to us. And there's sermons to unpack on what I just said. But what does it also have to do with this? It has to do with the fact that one of the ways we fail to honor each other is we take the good, but we don't commit to the person. And there's plenty of that not in the realm of sexual immorality. There's plenty of times in the church where church leaders, you know, just squeeze the juice out of people to serve and to be there and to, you know, you know, give more and do all this kind of stuff, but they're not committed to the well-being, the, the emotional, mental, and healing and wholeness of the person. You might have friends who want you for what you bring to the table economically, talent-wise, personality-wise, uh, social network-wise, but then they're not there for you when you need, when you need something. The, what they're asking for, they're not giving the commitment behind it. And people like this can wear us out. They can wear us out when, when you're my best friend, when I have something to offer and you're nowhere to be found, when my life is in need and I need you and you're not there right now. Like I'm experiencing the fact that I got some real friends in my life, friends that are there for me when I'm healthy, that receive the benefit that I give. And now I'm realizing like, you know, when I'm off my feet, I'm, I'm seeing my friends, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm looking at 11 inches of snow on my driveway. I have my foot, Jacqueline has bronchitis, and all of a sudden, I have three or four friends call me and say, we're coming to shovel, and before they get there, Steve Relier sent his kids to my house, and they shoveled my whole driveway before my other friends got there. That's what I'm talking about, like, the, now, now I'm sitting here saying, listen, when, when I'm back on my feet, like, I have to be ready to return this favor. And so I hope that none of them get surgery in the winter because then I'm going to have to come shovel their driveway. It's, it's amazing that there are people who receive the good from you and then are there for you when you're down and out. And so you can look at sexual immorality literally like we just did, or you can look at it and say, we cannot honor each other if we're only receiving the benefit that somebody else gives and not being there for them the whole way. And the reality is this, Jesus will never do that to you. You all have said this before. I want to be used by God. I want to be used by God. But I want to say this, and I know you're going to roll your eyes because I love semantics. But God doesn't use you. He participates with you. He 
fills you with his life. He wants you to join him in what he's doing. But he doesn't use you. Use wears things out. You get sneakers, you use them, they're wore out. You get clothes, you use them, it's wore out. You buy a car, you use it, it breaks down. God doesn't use you. You don't become less you after he uses you. You become more you after he participates with you and mutually blesses you as you mutually bless him. He doesn't use anybody. He's not a user. You don't get worn out when he fills your life. You become you when he fills your life. And he wants that for you. He's not going to exploit you. He's going to always give you more than he's ever going to ask you for. Because he's a gentleman. So look at this. These are the ways that he honors you. And these are the ways we are meant to honor each other. When, when God made Adam and Eve, it said that God sent the animals to Adam. And whatever he called them, that was their name. <clears throat> Think of how powerful that is. Whatever Adam called them, that was their name. The Proverbs say that the tongue is a tree of life. It can give life. James says that the tongue could be like a, a fire set on fire by hell. So look at this. What Adam called them, it was their name. The tongue could be a tree of life or it could be hell. What is God saying? He's saying that you matter. What you do matters. Paul said, when you, if you sleep with a prostitute, you've become one with her. And he uses... The marriage verse, the two have become one. He's saying that when you sleep with somebody, you've married them. You've married them. You're now called to be fully and completely committed to that person until death. Why? Because our actions matter. They matter. Jesus said to the disciples, If you forgive, people will be forgiven. If you retain forgiveness, it will be retained. You matter. In the same way that my father sent me, so I'm sending you, Jesus says to us. You matter. Your life matters. And I can hear your thoughts right now. Pastor, I'm a terrible person. I don't want my life to matter like that. Here's the good news. Jesus is honoring you in a way that is making you and all of your mess ups holy again. And so your mattering will bless the world tomorrow. You taking your mistakes and repenting of them and offering your testimony will change the world tomorrow. You think on your worst day that you're not a good parent or a good coworker or you don't have talent or you're just feeling down and out and negative about yourself. When you wake up tomorrow, you have the God-given ability to make somebody's life better forever with simple Words like, hello, how are you? I miss you. How are you doing today? There's more power in the greeting of a Christian than there is in a lifelong monologue from anybody else. Greetings, O highly favored one, is one of the most famous lines in the Bible. Our greeting is filled with the life of God. It's not just about going on the mission field and overcoming world hunger it's about saying hello to somebody and realizing your tongue is a tree of life your honoring of somebody else can bless them forever you matter 
so much. Let's have the worship team come up here right now. Everyone stand to your feet. You matter the Eucharist to Jesus. You look down and see brokenness. He looks down and sees something to hold up and be thankful for. You look down and you see my life is just broken bread and spilled juice all over the place. My life is spilled and broken. And Jesus looks at the spilled wine and the broken bread and he says, This is me. I'm your brokenness. I'm everything spilled in your life. I'm taking the whole mess and I'm saying I honor you. I see a fixed value in you. Your value has never changed to me. It never will change to me. Now get out there and be my body and bless people. Bless people with your mistakes and who I am for you in them. Bless people with your successes and who I am in them. Bless people with your confusion and tell them that you know what, I'm confused about what my life is or what's happening, but I know God is in that confusion with me. Every bit of your life is worthy to bless somebody with. Right now, you're leaving here more equipped than you could possibly imagine. So let your love be genuine. Let your love for others be the love that God has for you. And outdo one another in showing honor, meaning what? Outdo one another in reminding each other of that fixed value. Give them voice like God gave Samuel voice. Give them forgiveness, like God gave Nathaniel forgiveness. And remind each other not to take advantage, like Paul says. Jacqueline's going to come up here right now, and we're going to get ready to come to the table. Father God, I thank you for Salem Tabernacle. I thank you for who she's becoming as a church. I thank you for how much I miss being there. And I just pray that you would settle over the church right now. That you would forgive us of our sins. And that you would honor us. Help us to know who we really are, what our true fixed value is. And then offer that to other people. No matter what phase of life we're in, we can invite people into the mess of our life and bless them. In your name, amen. Salem, Jacqueline is up here. I love you. <coughs> Pretty good. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.